Hello everyone, welcome to Let's Coffee. Let's Coffee is a collaboration between Yardstick Coffee and thank you for your applause, everyone. Uh, Yardstick Coffee and Daily Drink Magazine we tape here in Honeycomb, Manila, which is the home of, of our company, but also is also a co-working space where people can come and even record here. We have a number of people who record here as well. Now, if you are enjoying the content that we're putting out, whether it be about board games or Let's Coffee, which is about uh, coffee and the industry, um, please do like this, uh, like this video, click the thumbs up and subscribe to our channel. That helps a lot. If you're listening uh, via podcast or um, watching on Instagram, on Yard6 Instagram, please also do leave a comment if you can. We would love to hear from you, but it also helps us out a lot in getting the word out. Uh, and tell your friends if you can. Um, today, we are going to be speaking a bit about competition. It's competition season here uh, in the Philippines, which means that we're going to have our Philippine National Coffee Championships uh, this month. Yeah. Yeah, in a, in a couple of weeks. So to discuss that and discuss other things, um, we have Mitch C. Hi. <laughs> so, all right, calm down, everyone. Uh, uh, Mitch, who are you? Like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> seriously, like, seriously, like, would you consider yourself a coffee professional? I actually consider myself as a coffee enthusiast. Mm -hmm. So it's more of I started out coffee at home. So so I usually frequent cafes, get to know get to know people and get to know baristas. Mm -hmm. Then it was actually uh there was actually one day when I went to habitual coffee back in China Rosses back then. Mm -hmm. So Raf Garcia was actually manning the bar. And he gave me this cup of coffee. It was actually a white honey process Panama. So for me, it was actually an aha moment for me in specialty coffee because it was quite surprising to be tasting coffee that's not actually tasting coffee. It was actually tea-like. It had notes of honey. And it got me digging deeper and deeper to the rabbit hole, so... But had you had specialty coffee before that point? Actually, no. It was so my it just, first time. Okay, so it was like regular consumer coffee. Yeah. Right? C-grade coffee. And then you, you found yourself tasting this cup and it opened up many doors, I guess. Yes. What happened after that? So after that, I got myself an AeroPress and started brewing at home. Then I think... Uh, one brewer led to the other, and I eventually uh, started to take the professional barista class at EDSA. Mm -hmm. So after that, I end up getting a slayer. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> let's backtrack. Let's backtrack. So you're a coffee enthusiast. Yep. You have another career. Yeah. What's that? So during the day, I actually work as a banker. So okay. it's totally it's a totally different world with coffee actually. What kind of banking? So I deal mostly with investments. So mm -hmm. on the trust side it's actually unit investment trust funds and mm -hmm. on the treasury side it's more of the fixed income bond side. So it's really far apart from coffee. It it's something that I think it would benefit everyone to discuss all the time, right? <laughs> but uh but yeah, it it it's quite 
yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's that opposite because like there is a lot of math and science involved in both. There's a lot of gut feel, <laughs> yeah. right? A lot of gut feel and a lot of, um, for lack of a better term, voodoo, <laughs> right? Voodoo, yeah. And they're both very community driven. Yeah. Right? So I come from a family of, of investment as well. Okay. Um, uh, it's been a large part of my life throughout time. We've also had clients that are, as you know, Honeycomb as a marketing company has also had clients in the past that are involved in, in, uh, in that business. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, you know, we, we, we've shadowed people in this business before and early in the morning, like your cell phone's just blowing up with everybody texting you, right? Yeah. About what's going on. Very community driven. Yes. Um, do you see any other parallels that like your, your non-coffee job and your kind of coffee, coffee profession have kind of met? One thing I do notice is that bankers drink a lot of coffee. <laughs> so I guess um, maybe coffee is something that uh, in the banking side it's more of a, it sets a tone for a meeting or it starts to get people talking about things. And maybe on the other side, uh, when outside of work, uh, when you have coffee, it's more of a more relaxed vibe when you actually get to know people behind the bar or get to know baristas or meet friends along the way. So I guess that sort of uh, coffee has been, has been a middle ground, middle ground for meeting people, spaces, and doing all sorts of other things as well. Do you have any other hobbies? Actually... <laughs> I consider myself someone as, uh, as someone who has a lot of hobbies, actually. Okay. So I do. Before I used to do a lot of mountain biking. Okay. <laughs> so at some point in time, I I do collect toys as well. So I do collect Lego. Mm -hmm. uh, I do have uh, some some cause there. So we brought out the cause because I knew that that <laughs> Mitch is a fan of of cause. It's actually nice to see them here. <laughs> yeah, they're, they, so we, we travel quite a bit uh, for daily drink as well. And I happened to find myself, well, we went to Taipei to cover cause wow. and, and to get these for Ajima, which is our art and sub, you know, street mm -hmm. subculture and aesthetics blog. Uh, and then while we were there, we did a lot of coverage as well for daily drink. So it, it it just so happened that I was able to pick these up for retail because wow. it happened to be there at, you know, at the event. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it is super cool, like, that we have this in common. But, like, I also started out as a hobbyist. And then I found myself consulting for coffee, right? Yeah. And just... You know, it, it really was just making that cup of coffee every day and, you know, quote, unquote, getting better at it, yes. right? And deepening your understanding over time. Uh, and then before I knew it, people were asking me to help them in business wow. for coffee. Is that something that's happened to you? Because I know that you, now you derive some of your income from coffee as well. Uh, recently, we actually brought in Tim Moore. Mm -hmm. So Timemoor is more of, uh, it's actually suitable for people who are starting out in coffee. 
So we have a range of uh, pour over equipment. So it's mostly manual. So the price range is actually um, is at a sweet point for people who are starting out. So it won't really hit you, uh, hit you or rob you at the bank. Mm -hmm. So so far we've been gaining traction. So most of the sales are actually online in our Lazada page. And there are actually more and more people who are growing curious about the brand and growing curious to actually start to brew their own coffee at home as well. Do you think that this is something that you would have done if you did not compete in the Philippine uh, coffee, what's it called now? Philippine coffee competition? Yeah, the Philippine coffee competition. Yeah. Mm. Back then, I think every single coffee enthusiast would have probably wanted to start out with a cafe. So maybe this wasn't actually the original plan at the start, but I think uh, sometimes things don't go as planned, but they sort of lead you in some sort of direction eventually. So eventually along the way, when we were just thinking of what to actually do with coffee, we, we were actually surprised that we ended up with, ended up bringing Tim and Moore to the Philippines. So that's basically it. Which begs the question, why, why don't you start a cafe? Because it seems like a small step, you know? I, I follow you on Instagram and I see Slayers right there in your kitchen. There's, a, there's an EK43, the limited edition mini, a smaller one, right? Right in your kitchen. It's a small step to, to just opening a cafe. Why choose to take this, this particular uh, route of being a distributor or a parallel importer? instead of opening a cafe? So far, I see myself more on the side of uh, maybe one step backward from, from the cafe side. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, being a, someone who loves to drink coffee and tasting the nuances, so it's something that I would appreciate if I took a step back and tried roasting. Mm. So it sorts of, for example, when you, uh, when you start to taste coffee, you'd have some sort of questions in your mind on how would this actually taste like if the coffee was roasted this way and that way. So I think um, going to learn how to roast would actually bridge those questions that I have in mind more. Have you taken any steps to learn roasting? When I was in Berlin, I took a basic crash course on uh, on how to roast, but that's basically it. So most of the time, I just read books, books on the roaster's companion, or basically anything that I find online on on how to roast coffee. <laughs> just in case people don't already follow you on Instagram, mm -hmm. can they follow you on Instagram? Yeah, <laughs> what, what, I think what, so. I'd like to think so. <laughs> what's your What's your Instagram? Uh, it's other Mitch. Okay, so if I went to at other Mitch. What are the odds that in the next three to six months, you're going to have a roaster at home? We do actually have a roaster set up somewhere. Oh, there you go. <laughs> but not at home. No, not at home. Okay. So, but, so you are learning yeah. on, your, on your own or you have a team with you now? Uh, so far, we're starting to grow a team. Okay. So it's still something in the ropes, but it's not yet final. Mm -hmm. But everything is a learning curve, and I do appreciate uh, appreciate the process of going to, I mean, getting there. So kind of like uh, tasting coffee, it's something that I thought 
myself to do. So I guess I'd also appreciate it if I took baby steps to learn how to rose eventually. Okay, so let's go there. How do you teach yourself how to taste coffee? Oh. What was that like for you? What's the story? Actually, it was quite challenging at the start because usually when you get a bag of specialty coffee, it had all of these uh, coffee jargons in it. Mm -hmm. So it could be quite intimidating to someone who's starting. Uh, you'd get something like an altitude thing over there and you'd get all of these notes that you have no idea how to translate on how to actually taste. So what I did was I'd get those bags that are quite familiar to my sensory, to my palate. Mm -hmm. Then it started there. Then I started to build my confidence. So maybe for people who are starting to taste coffee, I would suggest uh, being, more, uh, being more curious and starting to notice things uh, everywhere. Earlier, I think I mentioned something about mountain biking. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of an experience that I relate, I can relate to coffee. It's I mean, yeah, it's quite far apart, yeah. but I remember the time when I was actually biking and it was, uh, was off-road, uh, hilly, hilly mountain with so much trees and so much dirt on it. Mm -hmm. And you'd get this smell before it rains. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, for those who are familiar, there's actually a Centone kit. Mm -hmm. So it's basically um, a set of smells that are actually associated with coffee. And if you pick number one, it's actually earthy. So okay. for some people, I think uh, having it in a controlled environment with a Linné sensory kit mm -hmm. would, uh, would be a nice experience. But for me, if you're just curious enough to just go out and experience things on your own, you could actually get or, get or pick up those notes along the way. Did you, have a, um, did you have a background in food and beverage or tasting totally before this? Totally nothing. Nothing? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, you know, I, I've had this problem before, like trying to, uh, trying to connect with people who I've maybe um, have the privilege of, of coaching or assessing when preparing for competition. Mm -hmm. So that's something that, um, that I've done in the past, where when people need to compete, they, they basically rehearse with, yes. um, with, with me, some other people, for mock judging. And then sometimes they'll throw out the tasting note, mm -hmm. and I'll taste it, and I'll be like, hey, that doesn't taste anything like that. Where did you get that? I remember once I had asked, hey, you said that this tastes like plums. Mm -mm. Can you tell me what a plum tastes like? Right? Yeah, I get, I get you. Because usually, for example, uh, you'd get, for example, notes of peaches. And mm -hmm. people would tell me, how do you get notes of, I mean, how do you get peach? Then I'll ask him, uh, are you noticing peach as canned peach? Or are you noticing peach as iced tea pe peach? Yeah. So... It's more of going down to the details and being more specific with what you taste or how you're actually tasting that. Yeah, in the case of the person with the, with the plum, he was using a candy. He was using a plum candy oh. to, to, to describe, describe that. it. Like that's where he got the taste. And my advice was, because we actually had Sento on hand, um, 
but I, what I said was, hey, I think that you need to go to Rockwell and drop 100 pesos on a plum <laughs> and eat it, yes. right? And it's worth it because the centone is quite expensive. Yes, it's quite I, a pricey kit to have. Uh, but it is worth investing, going and spending money on fruits. Right? I, I, I totally agree with that. Spend a, you're going to spend 150 pesos on a cup of coffee. You can spend 150 pesos on a nectarine, right? Yes. On like four different kinds of orange, so you can understand it. Uh, actually, when people start to ask me how to distinguish notes from different, uh, different fruits, I actually just tell them to go to the supermarket and grab every single citrus that they actually see in the shelf. Because I think citrus is really accessible. So mm -hmm. that alone, you could get lemons, limes, calamansi, mm -hmm. and even down to different kinds of oranges like navel and mandarin orange. Even different kinds of, uh, even different kinds of lemon. Exactly. Like go get a local lemon, get an American lemon, get a, and then see how they taste different. Yes. Uh, taste, the, t taste the juice, taste the flesh, taste the skin. Exactly. They're all different flavors. And for some people, I, I even usually tell them to cut the, cut the, uh, I mean, cut the lime or cut the lemon and just flip, flip the peel at the back and try to see the aroma or the zest that comes through. So these are things that you've also done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember uh, before all of this, I was into wine. Wow. And which is very expensive here in the Philippines to be into. And during that time, not very good. Like mm -hmm. now, it, now's a good time to be into wine. Um, but I have discovered coffee. And it's very <laughs> difficult to go back. Uh, uh, but also because coffee is, is a lot more affordable, right? Like, you know, uh, getting a reasonable good wine will cost you maybe a thousand pesos. Yes. Minimum. Um, but if you spend a thousand pesos on a cup of coffee, that's Hacienda La Esmeralda, yeah. right? Like yep. you're already starting at the top. Um, so it, it, it does create a lot of opportunity for us to taste other things. But when I was, when I was into wine, um, I didn't understand minerality until I went out and licked rocks. So wow. I would go to the beach and I'd lick the rocks. <laughs> so I'd under... <laughs> I would go to the beach and I would lick the rocks and that's how I understood like um, how saltiness and brightness comes from mineral. So I, I, I give that as a, as a tip to like if that's how you want to expand your palate. Um, everything in the Centone box is based on things in the real world. Yes. Right? Uh, all right. So in terms of, of um, the Taster's Cup, because you won the Philippine Tasters Cup. What year was that? Last year, so, so it was 2019. Yeah. Is that the first time we had a Tasters Cup here? Yeah, it's the first time actually. So you are the only Philippine Tasters Cup champion. So far. So far, and for the next year. Yeah, for because the we're next not having it this year. Sadly. Sadly, we're not having it this year, um, which is a whole other discussion. Yes. But. In preparing for that, like, how, what made you think that this is something that you wanted to do, and how did you get involved in it, and how is it different from regular cupping? I actually had the thought or idea of a competition way back when I was when I was in EDSA. Mm -hmm. So, 
Kevin and Miko would actually say that there's a latte, com latte art competition and there's a national barista competition in the Brewers' Cup. But I suddenly asked them if there was actually something on the side of tasting and they said elsewhere it was, it was being conducted but we don't have that yet in the Philippines. And I said, maybe one day I'll just sign up for it if, if we do have the opportunity. So last year, I, I told myself was this the sign that I've been waiting for. So I eventually jump shipped and just signed up. So were you expecting to win? Actually, no. <laughs> but of course, I was looking forward to Berlin if I did. <laughs> yeah. So earlier you asked the differences between the normal cupping and the yes. uh, the competition side. So usually on a normal cupping table, you'd get a wide array of coffees, but on that case, you'd be in a relaxed setting where you're just enjoying the coffee, uh, tasting the nuances, and maybe comparing and contrasting which one you actually like. But in a cup tasters uh, competition, you'd be faced with a total of 24 cups of coffee, and it's divided into eight sets of three. So I usually tell people that it's a mind game for coffee, actually, because on the three cups you'll be having in one set, you'd have to remove the odd one out. So, so it's um, triangulation. Yeah, it's triangulation. So for me, I found it quite easy in the first round because you'd be having coffee that's quite stark or they're quite different from each other. So on one hand, you may be having something that's quite nutty and you'd, have be, you'd be having very bright coffees on the other side. So you'd notice the differences, but eventually as you progress to the next levels, it gets quite difficult. So just so I'm clear, there's no scoring involved? Uh, there's actually a score involved. So you need to get the odd one cup out. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you would need to have it on the fastest time that you can finish. Okay. So usually they would give you eight minutes, but it depends on how fast you could go and how accurate you could go about it. So there's a, you kind of need to strike the balance of yeah. how fast you are and how correct you are Yes. in terms of the tasting. So in normal cupping, uh, we, have a, we have a standard cupping sheet, right? Yep. And we score based on flavor, body, sweetness, balance, all these things, acidity, yes. right? Which you don't have to do at the, at the cup tasters. No. You're tasting, and then how does that work? You're just saying, okay, this, these two have medium acidity and this one has high acidity, that's the odd one out? I think it would have to go differently for different people. But what I'd usually do is, for example, if there are three cups uh, presented to me, what I do is, uh, you're, you're actually required to try all of the cups. So I try to train myself in a way that when I taste the coffee, I need to have some sort of picture into it. So for example, when I taste it, I'd have notes of strawberry. So that's strawberry for me. So on the second cup, if I get blueberries, on the third cup, I should be expecting either strawberries or blueberries before putting the odd one out. Mm -hmm. But for some people, they're more trained, not on the note side, but Maybe if they're so good in mouthfeel or if they're good in acidity, they can also use those, uh, those factors to identify which cup is actually out. 
So you go based on, you, you pick a primary tasting note. Yep. And that you use it as guidance, yeah. basically. Okay. Um, so after winning here and then going to Worlds, how did you feel at Worlds? Like, how was, what was your performance like? Um, and what did you notice to be the differences between the two? It was actually a different level at the Worlds. Uh, you'd see you'd see some people who are so relaxed into it and some other people who are so tense into it. And it was actually a nice experience because you get to know a lot of people along the way. So some of them are also uh, in the coffee industry while there are also some people who are enthusiasts. So I was able to meet one guy who was actually, uh, who was working for Uber. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. And he was mentioning that he was also surprised to win win the cup tasters for their country when he was also competing against other roasters as well. So going back, you, you ask what the experience was. Yeah. And I do notice that um, competing as an independent versus competing, uh, let's say, as a company or as a, as a firm, uh, I do notice that there is more strategy involved as you, how you go into it. Because I usually see um, them going as a team and they would have a coach on hand. So I do notice that the coaches would actually take note of the competitors and at the same time they would check which cups the competitors got wrong. So mm -hmm. they would tend to brief their, uh, their candidate on which cups they would, or which cups they should be more careful on. So maybe next time if I'd have the experience again for for the worlds, maybe it's something that I might consider as well. So aside from training for speed and time, but also... Bring a team. Bring a team. <laughs> yeah, you really see that. Like you really see, like here, um, when, uh, like when, when we send a team, I think they're trying to limit this. <laughs> just, so, just to be clear, I think that, the, that WC is trying to limit this from happening too much. Uh, but when, when we send a team, usually it's maybe a team of two, team of three and then you know Australia will roll in with their team of 25 guys <laughs> there's one person whose job it is just to carry the grinder and yeah. one person whose job it is just to carry accessories right yeah um, and that's really the way that that they do it right um, it maybe it's an economic situation kind of thing <laughs> right yeah. especially if you're by yourself but this is something I think that as an industry we can really grow from is you know, just because someone in a different firm is the representative, yep. that doesn't mean you can't be on their team. Yes. Right? Because at the end of the day, we are Team Philippines. Yes. Right? You're representing the country. Uh, and I get very happy when I see, you know, uh, professionals, you know, Filipino professionals traveling around the world. I remember seeing this uh, recently with Sylvester and Kiddo. Mm -mm. being in London, I think. Oh, for the, yeah. Right? And then um, Center for Coffee Excellence. Yep. Uh, Raul went over there, and they ran, the, they ran the coffee booth at that expo together, right? And it was a good opportunity for them to be Team Philippines as one, right? Uh, hopefully, we can see some more of that and maybe a bit more cooperation, especially because... We find ourselves in a situation where um, 
no one company is really big enough to field a team of 24, 25 people at a time, <laughs> right? Um, I would also say maybe one of the learnings we can take from that is if the coach is doing those things, watching the competitor, mm -mm. maybe it's something that you could do also, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, meaning you're lucky if you're, if you're round six, right? If you're the sixth yeah. person in your heat, it's always going to be difficult to go first. Yes. During the competition, I was actually at the second heat, if I'm not mistaken. So it's like you had no choice, but you had to jump in. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. So always, always be prepared no matter what. And yes. then just maximize your opportunities to take advantage, right, of, of you, know, you know, being blessed with a slightly better luck of the draw, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, What's the rule book like for the Taster's Cup? Is it long? Is it? I think it's relatively shorter, for, for example, compared to a Brewer's Cup or a, or a PNBC. Mm -hmm. Because it basically just says uh, how you actually prepare for it. So actually for the Taster's Cup, you just need a spoon, <laughs> a cupping spoon. And basically you're all set. But I think when you go into the preparation, you need to be mentally prepared as well. So if you're just going there thinking that you'd be sipping coffee or slurping coffee, it could be quite challenging, but you need to be focused as well. So in the rule book, it just states all of these technicalities, but uh, as far as if you're going to compare it to, for example, PNBC and brewing, Mm, not so much more is actually written on it. <laughs> That's also the other thing is that it's the only competition that is uh, where there are right and wrong answers. Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. As opposed to having a scale, right? Or something that's relatively subjective. Uh, the thing I think that a lot of people don't realize when competing in Brewer's Cup, I've competed in Brewer's Cup, um, in 2000, I think that was 2018. Yes. I yeah, where I was, I was first runner-up mm -mm. by two points, very painful two points. Ouch. Um, especially when you know how uh, scores are calculated. Um, and whenever I have the opportunity to coach and help people prepare for, uh, for their runs, we always go back to that. We always go back to making sure that you know the rule book. Mm -mm. By, you know, know it like the back of your hand. And I always tell them, you better know that rule book better than the judges know it. Yes. Because we've, we've definitely seen situations where, um, for example, someone didn't do latte art in, in their barista competition. Mm -mm. The judge will see that and give it. It, it's an automatic zero yes. because there's no, the rules are very basic. It's, it must be symmetri uh, symmetrical, right? There must be this, well, at least before, there must be a one inch of foam <laughs> in your cappuccino. There were rules like that. Um, and all of those little things amount to points, right? Or amount to deductions is more like, right? So if you missed it, then it's a zero. Yes. Um, very basic, no wets on top of the espresso machine. So we call it no wets on top. As soon as you put a liquid on top of the espresso machine, 
you get a technical zero, or you're supposed to get the technical zero, right? And if you don't know the rule book, if you're not spending hours and hours just reading that thing and highlighting it and knowing, okay, here's where I'm going to score my points, it, it's... Yeah. Uh, no it's matter how problems. hard you prepare, you won't be able to maximize everything. I mean, if you don't read the rule book. Yeah. So, in preparation for Cup Taster Champion, um, when, you, when you competed, was there anything um, that you feel that you did that maybe you didn't have to do? So far, I didn't realize, but what maybe I would, it would be nice if I share what I actually did for the competition. Sure, yeah. So some people would actually think that uh, going into competition is actually doing sets of triangulation every day. But what I actually uh, did was just to have one or two cups of coffee a day. But I made it a point that every time I drank the cup, I would have some sort of note, this, uh, some sort of note that's quite distinguishable in that cup of coffee. So I try myself, I train myself to pick up the notes right away, or if not, at least assess how how the acidity is playing in my uh, playing in my tongue, or assess if it's a heavy coffee or a light coffee. So it's important straight away that you need to get some sort of memory or perception on what you're getting from that cup of coffee. A couple of days before the competition, I tried to limit uh, taking spicy food, hot food. It's important not to actually burn your tongue. So I usually limit myself to things that do not give a heavy, heavy sense on your palate. So it's basically having cereal, milk, bread, and congee. Wow, so congee. how many days? Like three to five days before the competition. Wow, so you went taste neutral basically. Yes. And carb heavy. <laughs> carb heavy. Carb heavy, taste neutral. For the competition. Would you recommend that for other competitions? Mm, not so sure on how other competitions would go about, but definitely for cup tasters, it's something I would recommend. Because, for example, if you're so used to tasting spicy stuff, uh, you might not be able to distinguish some faint notes that you would be tasting in coffee. And every bit of note actually helps. Did you ever uh, did you use a training partner? Uh, there were times when I actually dropped by the Calzado office and Ivy was actually there. Mm -hmm. So I, if I'm lucky, they'd have a production run of their coffee and I would also taste with them. Because I think tasting is actually an experience that you'd want to share with people. So people tend to taste differently and, to, and it's actually interesting to hear how people actually taste that specific kind of thing. So usually when we talk about tasting, um, it reveals some sort of personality that goes with the person. So there was one time when we were actually tasting a cup and I actually remembered someone saying, oh, it smells like Watusi. And I was like, wow, so this, this person must have some sort of interesting childhood that he'd have to mention Watusi. Or, yeah. or sometimes I'd have people saying that they, they would get seaweed or soy sauce in the coffee. Then later on, you'd actually know that their background is actually into cooking, so they're actually chefs. Mm -hmm. So some people are very familiar with, for example, with 
local fruits and they'd say that this is uh, goyabano or this is a papaya or this is star apple and all sorts. So it helps to also open your perspective on how other people taste things. I remember there's a cafe in Taiwan, mm -hmm. in Taipei, called Aura. Wow, okay. And what they did was they built a, uh, they built a tasting chart that was unique for Taiwan. Based on the... Based on their taste. Taste. So they built it out, and then they... Uh, and it's based on what people there are used to tasting. So on the grains and rice and bread side, mm -hmm. on the standard SEA chart, it's like grains, cereal, cereal bread. bread. That's it, right? Or pretty much that's it, right? Yeah. And I think there's like brown, something like that. <laughs> In the Taiwan one, there's, it has its own branch, and then, uh, well, not Taiwan, in Aura's version, there's a, there's, it has a, its separate branch, and then there are like six different kinds of rice, something <laughs> like that. So there's like toasted rice, and uh, uh, brown rice, steamed rice, and it's all these different ones. <laughs> and then they actually went, uh, they kind of went crazy on it, and they made a computer program where they would feed uh, photos into a, they would put the item into a into a light box, right? <laughs> and the camera would take a picture of that item and determine what the color, the the single color property that is dominant in that item is, and that's the color that they were using on the chart. Ooh. And then this is crazy. And then when they would have tastings, they would write down what they tasted and in what percentage they would taste. And then the computer would generate a, like a dot map of the density of different flavors and tasting <laughs> notes based on. Wow. Yeah. And then they went, the next year, they decided to, to sort uh, coffees based on the way that it made them feel. Wow. And then they basically invented some sort of AI. So they, they said what, how, how coffees made them feel, and then they, they sorted it. And then they looked at photos, and they said how those photos made them feel, and they sorted it. And then the labels are now generated by the computer. So they tell the computer how it makes them feel, and what things they taste, and in what percentages. And the computer selects a picture and colors the picture with wow. the swatches from the, from the AI in the color balance <laughs> of the percentages that you said. Wow. It's crazy. It's but crazy. It's crazy, but it's, it is completely unique to their culture, to the things that they taste and the way that they feel about imagery. Yes. So like sereneness, intensity, relaxation, right? And then the actual colors. It's wild. Yes. It's, it's pretty wild. The actu actually, the idea of going into it is actually mind-blowing. Uh, and then if you go into the roastery, instead of having a big roaster, they have two, I think, five-kilo roasters because they want to have um, kind of the flavors from the different roasters, different, have different characteristics. So. Uh, it, it, it's one of the most interesting cafe and roastery experiences 
I've ever had, and it's in a place called Aura in Taipei. Maybe and I should visit. You should, you should definitely visit once you can go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's super interesting. I, th I think if we were going to build it a wheel here, right? If you were going to build a taster's chart here, yeah, definitely. Like Starfruit yes. will be there, right? And when we talk about Starfruit, like, can you tell me about Starfruit? I have very specific memories about childhood and running on walls, right? <laughs> running on the top of a wall and picking it out of a tree and eating it without washing it, right? Um, yeah, and it, it's, it's very unique to those memories. Um, do you ever have tasting notes that are, that are highly, um, not uh, unique, it's a word. Do you ever have those tasting notes that you're worried to say because people will, won't understand it? And how do you deal with that if you do? Maybe I guess it's more of uh, trying to laymanize things. Mm -hmm. So, for example, hmm, let me try to think of a scenario. I'll give you an example. Okay. Okay. So, I had a coffee once and I, I tasted it. And I told um, my trainer, right, or, or my friend who was training me at the time, I said, hey, this tastes like barbecue chicken. <laughs> like, how, how do you break that apart? Maybe I first try to check out the, the wheel first. Okay. And find something that's quite close to that. Well, actually, there was a time, but it's... I'm, uh, it's sort of close to what you said. Mm -hmm. There was one time when I was copying and I got the note of uh, peach. Mm -hmm. Then someone had the note of pear. Mm. So both of us were saying, no, it's peach, no, it's pear. So to, to sort it out, we checked the flavor wheel and surprisingly, peach and pear were actually side by side. Mm -hmm. So going back to your example, uh, I think the flavor wheel would help in some sort of way to um, itemize mm -hmm. or to sort out what's the closest thing to it. But at the end of the day, I think I'd still stick with my personal experiences on how to actually taste those. So for me, some people would actually say there's a right way or wrong way to tasting. Um, well, actually, it's sort of an abuse, I mean, an art and a science. There's actually an art and a science to it. So for me to maybe to stop deterring people from from uh, from tasting or sensory, we don't tell them that they're tasting something wrong. But it's actually trying to pull them closer and closer to the wheel. So I was mentioning earlier that some people would actually be tasting soy sauce, or when we actually pull it closer, maybe maybe it's not soy sauce, but maybe it's an umami experience for mm -hmm. them. So maybe for barbecue, maybe it's uh, charred savory. <laughs> Usually what I do, in the case of barbecue, what, what the way that I figured to solve that problem was to first ask what kind of barbecue. Oh, right? yes, you're right. Right, because it might be lemongrass. Yep. It might be mesquite. Right? It might be burnt wood. <laughs> and then it might be honey. It might be, uh, it might be brown sugar. 
and then it might be soy sauce, right? And the truth is, your taste, like when you eat barbecue chicken, you're tasting all of those things, yes. right? With a mix of fat and protein. And, uh, and usually the Maillard defect, which yes. you also get in coffee, right? um, or in baked bread. Uh, so that's usually what I do. And then I, I'll do the same thing. Like I'll tell people, no, no, there's no wrong answer. Like I remember there was this uh, famous tasting note, um, which our, our, our Filipino roaster uh, would use with me. And he's like, you taste that? It's sinigang. <laughs> right? And I was like, you know what? You're right. It's sinigang. But what is it specifically what's in What's inside Sinigam? Is it tamarind or kamyas? <laughs> exactly. Is it tamarind? Is it kamyas? And it's like, and the answer was, it's funky. It's funky. <laughs> we are talking about chocolate just now, like earlier. <laughs> so you're like, we, you didn't, you weren't in, into any sort of food and beverage, because I mentioned I, I had done wine. But was there anything else like that um, that you have been into? Actually, I would say chocolates. Okay. <laughs> uh, there was actually one time when I was able to get a box of chocolates, not the Forrest Gump type. <laughs> box of chocolates, so it's basically dark chocolates. So people usually have the uh, misconception that dark chocolates tend to be bitter. But there are actually some interesting ones, especially if you go somewhere around between 70 to 80%. So usually you'd get... Uh, notes like dried fruit, something like uh, dried, uh, dried um, something like prunes. Mm -hmm. But there was this specific set that I got. It was actually, uh, the brand is called Valorona. Mm -hmm. It's quite interesting because usually they'd have notes on it. They'd write something like spicy or they'd have something that's bold and sweet or creamy and stuff. But there was this certain piece that wrote floral and fruity. So I was really intrigued what floral and fruity was uh, in chocolate. So when I tried it, I was so surprised that I pick up chamomile in chocolate. In the, and there's nothing else in there. They didn't put chamomile no, in. No, it was wow. actually so surprising. <laughs> Where was the chocolate from? Um, I forgot which country it was from, but it was really delicious. So... Any time that I see the brand Valerona, I try to pick up a pack home. But that's, that, that, that just goes back to kind of like your central message, which is that there's really no wrong way, right? Like, you yeah. just be open. Open to try new experiences because you won't actually know that anything could actually be a sensory experience. Even something like washing your hands in a new, in a new liquid soap could actually... Yeah surprise you and also um so you were saying that uh right. you're ta you're talking about chocolate right and you're saying that the the you're expecting it to be bitter right yes. or most people think that it's bitter and i think the big take home for me from that is just don't have the expectation Right? Like if you're gonna go taste it, don't have the expectation that this is going to be bitter or that it's going to be sweet or that it needs to taste like berries because it's from Ethiopia. <laughs> right? Yes. Like just accept things for what they are and appreciate them in their truth. Right? 
I, I did want to ask you after you started talking about that, what are your thoughts on bitterness? I think uh, bitterness when you try to extract coffee uh, in a, for example, over extracting coffee can actually mm -hmm. cause bitterness. But there are actually some sort of bitterness that add value to coffee. So one of those things would be, for example, grapefruit. Grapefruit mm -hmm. is actually a bit uh, is actually very bright and bitter, but it's sort of uh, complex in a way that you appreciate the fruit. But eventually, when it ha appears in coffee, is it something that you'd appreciate? I definitely say yes. Yeah, or like fern, arugula, they're bitter. Actually, recently I've tried uh, more and more surprising things coming out of coffee, and it's actually quite interesting because before I was shunning myself away from. Uh, stuff that are actually herby, mm -hmm. but it's quite surprising to see that there are actually some people in other parts of the world appreciating that. And recently, I've been uh, exposing myself to different cups, and I do notice that there are some cups that are tasting something like eucalyptus. Those are those Nordic roasters. Yeah. Right? Those Nordic roasters <laughs> really like the, the... So it's quite interesting and quite uh, surprising in a way as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I always, you know, when I first started getting into coffee, my understanding really was that bitterness was a factor of something being done wrong at some point, right? Meaning it was mishandled, it was misroasted, it was not brewed properly, it was over-extracted, it was under-extracted, it was something. Someone had to do something wrong for this to be bitter, right? But you know, it wasn't a sensory kit. It was me going out and eating vegetables, <laughs> right? And understanding that the vegetables on the edge of the vegetable, like of a leaf of lettuce, taste different from the center. Yes. <laughs> right? And then really thinking that, okay, so that edge is exposed to sunlight and whatever, and the heart of that vegetable is kind of protected, and so the sugars stay intact <laughs> in that central part, right? Mm -hmm. And seeing that, okay, in the same way, Espresso in particular is an average, right? The flavors in the beginning and the flavors at the end are different, but we mix it and swirl it together and we get this, yes. this taste together. Um, and kind of learning to, to appreciate things as they are in their truth opened me up to being able to appreciate bitterness and use it as a tasting note and understand people who want their coffee bitter. Yes. Right? Um, so you have Tim Amor. You still have your day job. <laughs> Will you compete again? I'm actually looking forward to compete again. In? In cup tasters. No cup tasters. Okay. <laughs> How, you don't want to try anything else? So far, if I want to try something else, I, I'd be more interesting on the, I, interested on the side of judging or learning mm. more on how to score. So for me, it's an interesting side to learn on. Are you judging this year? So far, I signed up for this. Okay. <laughs> but no word back yet. Mm, so far, there would be a workshop on yeah. uh, Sunday. So I'm sort of looking forward to that as well. I think, uh, I, I think that as a good taster, you do a good job uh, judging something like the Brewer's Cup. Um, it's very, if you read that rule book, and you study that rule book, 
what you'll really find is that the Brewer's Cup, if you are a sensory ju judge, you really are just testing for taste. Yes. Like, and it's very liberating to be able to, okay, we're not really thinking about that much about what you're uh, presenting, whether it's right or wrong or your workflow or this or that. It's really just, what, is, what am I tasting here? We're scoring the cupping sheet. Is what they're saying actually what's coming out here? Yes. Is there the truth in effect, right? <laughs> um, and yeah, I really think it would help Like if we had, uh, I think that you would be a great asset to a judging panel is what I would like to say. Thank you. Um, that said, what do you think coffee should taste like? For me, I'm really biased with coffee that's quite sweet, quite floral. So before there was a trend when I used to like medium roasted coffee, then it's it sort of shifted to light roasted coffee. So, so it's like toggling in between. But so far, I'm appreciating um, Nordic roast from Sweden. So it's something that I've been drinking regularly. So recently, and most often than not, we usually have notes of chocolates or cacao nibs and all those. I'm leaning towards something that's uh, quite on the lighter side, maybe a no-gut finish. Mm. Yeah, mostly on those things. So it's something that I'm chasing, <laughs> chasing and chasing. So recently I've been trying to get myself on different roasters from Sweden just to try and try them out. <laughs> It, I find it super unusual because the, the those roasters from uh, those Nordic and Northern Re European roasters have kind of this um, new wave in philosophy of taste and flavor and how they're handling the coffee. Uh, and I find it to be very similar to high-quality teas, right? So you, you, you're talking about um, uh, milk-fermented oolong, right? Uh, Puer teas, age, uh, you know, age fermented puers, and that kind of intensity of flavor, and we're starting to see them and taste them in coffee. And from a competition point of view, I think it might be something where we have an advantage because we have access yes, to these exactly. flavors. And, and it's uh, something we're familiar with, actually. Yeah. Like you can go, I remember one time I was not feeling well in Hong Kong, which is always a scary prospect. Years ago, <laughs> not, not in the last hundred days, don't worry. Um, but I was not feeling so well. And I was like, you know what? I need to look for a drugstore. So I was wandering around in Xiongwan. I pulled out my phone, like, drugstore. It's like, there's one around the corner. And I get there, and it's one of these Chinese... Chinese drugstores. Drug you know, with a cat sitting on a, on a pile of leaves, right? And I'm like, oh, this is a drugstore. So I search pharmacy. And then I go, it's okay, there's one around the corner. So I go around another corner, which in Chongwan means walking up a 30-foot hill. So I walk up a 30-foot <laughs> hill and I get there and yet another, yet another, another Chinese drugs. medicine <laughs> store. With like, but they're beautiful because they're all these smells. Yes. Right? They're all these great smells. Um, and then I realized, you know what? Watson's. <laughs> and I got myself some paracetamol. Um, if you could have a cup of coffee with anyone in the world from any period of time, who would that be and why? I think I'd have coffee with Gerald Genta. Okay. 
So I've had the thing for watches and I was just looking at watch design and eventually liking this and liking that. Then it suddenly dawned upon me that, hey, why don't I Google who actually designed these watches? And I was actually surprised that it was Gerald Genta. So it's quite interesting to see his designs over in Cartier, in AP, in Patek, and even something as simple as a Mickey Mouse watch. So it's something that he actually worked on. So I think having a cup of coffee with him is not just uh, talking about watches, but uh, it would be nice to see his design philosophy and how he actually went about that. Do you have a design philosophy? Mm -hmm. That's a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you can discuss it with him when you get the chance. So we'll put that out there. Um, where can people find you on Instagram? Oh, in Other Mitch. At Other Mitch. And then, of course, they can find the products that you distribute on Lazada. Yes. If they look for that there. Um, a little, a little um, tip that, you're gonna, that you have someone who's using your equipment at this upcoming Brewer's Cup. <laughs> right? Yep. So we'll look forward to that. Um, in the meantime, please do follow at Yardsea Coffee on Instagram, at Daily Drink Mag on Instagram, and at Honeycomb Manila, which is our studios here. Um, we, are, well, we, are, uh, we are fully open now. So we've been on soft open for many months, uh, but we're very happy to open our doors uh, in March. And please come visit us. Let's have some coffee together. Um, and of course, if you do enjoy our content, please do make sure that you are following Yardstick Coffee and Honeycomb Manila on Instagram and on YouTube. Um, respectively. Did I say that in the correct order? I think so. Um, <laughs> and of course, dailydrinkmag.com, which is a great place to, to read about the different places um, that we've been, our philosophies, our learnings uh, throughout time, and to find uh, stories like the one that I told about Aura um, yes. in, in Taipei. So one of the interesting things is that you can sort by location. So if you're going to a certain town, a certain city, um, then you can go to the website, click on that city, on that town, mm -hmm. uh, for example, Philippines, right? That, that country, Philippines, and see all the different uh, cafes and, and, and cocktail bars and stuff like that that we've uh, been to here. But we have Singapore, uh, Malaysia, Vietnam, Thailand, Hong Kong, and in a couple of weeks, we are going on our trip to uh, Thailand. So stay tuned for that. Uh, again, thank you so much for joining us. I've, I've really enjoyed talking to you and like hearing about your experience and your philosophies in, in, in taste. And I have learned so much. Thank you, Kaushal. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's have some coffee. Let's coffee. <laughs> Sorry, I was thinking about your dad. <laughs> this, this does not surprise me. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Let's coffee.